and it's your boy Roshan Gomez. You are listening to the Rumor Roy podcast. Today in the house we have guest host Christian Gomez. Say hi to the crowd, audience. Bow, no, no. <laughs> and special guest to the house, Johanna Mahadevan, Doctor Johanna Mahadevan. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your Rumor Roy podcast T-shirt? It's drying. It's drying. It's drying because I was so excited and I wore it all week last week. So I think I needed a wash. I'm very sad that I couldn't. The wear team it today. is. The team is assessing whether to issue like a cease and desist letter to you <laughs> for some sort of copyright infringement. I don't think so because I have on WhatsApp and I screenshotted asking your permission <laughs> for the logo <laughs> which you gave. So like I think I'm safe. <laughs> With context, no one knows what you're talking about. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. So basically, I I I got a WhatsApp from Joanna, uh, asking me for the podcast logo. And then the next thing I know, she's sending me a photo of herself in a Rumor Roy podcast T-shirt. Yeah, and then now I'm on the podcast, so it worked. Like, look, <laughs> I'm here. It was all part of a grand plan. This is how you fangirl to the max and then you get an audience <laughs> with like the podcast. So. <laughs> to be honest, you are kind of a stand though. You've been uh, riding with us since the first episode. Yeah, I am. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And so when I heard, obviously, my cousin was making a podcast, I was like, what else am I going to listen to? And it's like... Oh, never mind. Just press continue. Yeah. Um, it's really good because I, you know, I feel quite distant from home. So when you chat about all the things that's going on at home, it makes me feel like, oh, I kind of know what's happening at home. And also to hear you makes me feel like I am at home. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. Is there a running tally of how many of your cousins and family members have come on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of have. But it's only really been you and uh, Joshi so far. From a family perspective. But as I was inviting more of my family members on the podcast, I realized that listening to other podcasts, people don't really do that. Yeah. Like at most, they would have like a sibling. But I never see podcasters invite like their extended family, cousins or… But your extended family is so cool. So why would you <laughs> not invite no, and, and that's true. And then I was thinking about it. Like our cousins are like pretty interesting. We have like cricket players. Yeah. We have like… Cousins who work in the estate. Yeah. We have one studying religion in the UK. Yeah. Like, yeah. just the real diverse portfolio. Someone, one cousin we in have, IT. We, we have yeah. a Nostradamus. And I'm just gonna... And we all Nostradamus listen to your equivalent. podcast. All your cousins. Yeah, all your cousins listen to your podcast. And I must... When they listen to this, the fact that I am here means I'm the favourite. <laughs> I'm just saying to all the cousins who are listening that this is proof. That I am the favorite because technically, on a technicality, Joshi came to talk about something else from another podcast. So I was <laughs> invited. I will not admit or deny anything. <laughs> Shall we talk about uh, your, your feedback know. feedback about Joshi's and Christian's episode? No, I really like Joshi's and feedback. Christian's episode. Wait, this is the filtered <laughs> version of the feedback. No, she. I mean, no. no I mean, she did. She didn't give me feedback, but I'm sure she does because this is something she believes in strongly as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think when you had your um, Alif, Alif, yeah, session with Alif, I think all I said to you was it probably would have been good to have someone who actually understood the science 
and you know, the disease more. And then you did that. And I think that was good. I liked how Joshi was like, he's a blue whale. <laughs> how do you know the blue whale is the biggest <laughs> whale in the world? I really enjoyed that. <laughs> but I thought it was good because I yeah. think it is very hard. It is very hard to understand science. And I don't think it's made easy for everyone to understand science. And I think when I listen to Alif's podcast, you can, it's kind of scary almost for me to see how, you know, he's, he sounds like a smart guy. You know, he doesn't sound like he's out to, uh, you know, kind of get people on his boat. It's just a guy trying to break through what's happening in life. And he tried to get, when he says, you know, he's researched PCR, I believe that he spent hours researching PCR, but unfortunately it takes more than just reading um, to understand how something like that works. You need to do it. You need to be immersed in it. And I think it was really good that Christian came and broke it down. So, yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, I, I really wanted to get Joshi on because when he listened to Alev's episode, he was texting me as he was talking. <laughs> he, was, he was texting me as he was listening to the episode. So he was like almost live tweeting me as the recording was going on. Uh, you know, I can... I, I knew that was going to happen. I think I said to you, I was like, oh, has Joshi listened to this yet? I think I even <laughs> said that to you because I knew what was happening. Like, yeah. have you ever texted Joshi that much? I don't think anyone no. has received. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone, he's like one of the elder cousins, right? So there's like a kind of like respect, you know? So like yeah. when they speak, you kind of like, okay, you know, kind of listen. Yeah. And, and, I think and, and whatever I, he said, meet complete, if not the, the kind of sense I was looking for. Yeah, and I feel like doctors are also, they're so, they're right next to it. You know, they're so involved in it. And I think it's even my friends who are doctors who listen to your podcast, there is a bit of an emotional response there as well because, you know, for them, it's a completely different reality to, let's say, you and me who even you say, you know, you don't really know anyone who's had it. But for them, it's completely different. You know, every day they see people with it and they see people, you know, um, losing their lives to it. So I think, yeah, I kind of expected him to have a lot to say <laughs> about that. Yeah. That episode went on for, I think, three hours, right? Was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. I mean, I it respect... Was- Anyone who went through the entire thing, even in part, I, I think really it's a lot to handle. It. Yeah, it was it was a long one, but for me, because I was driving to work, so my drive to work takes an hour for fifteen minutes. So I just mm. had like, oh, this is like the longest episode for me to listen to over like <laughs> the whole way there and the way back. <laughs> what's What's the situation like in uh, Australia now with COVID and everything? Um, look, Australia's actually always kind of done it really well because they were really quick to kind of do the lockdown and quarantine and they're really good at tracing and tracking. So even in SA, there was like a little outbreak that kind of came in and, you know, everyone thought we were going to go into like four weeks of lockdown, but then it just happened in one week because they were able to figure everything out and who had it and everyone who had it did the right thing. So I think because everyone here... And also it was close to Christmas, so no one wanted to be in lockdown during Christmas time. Mm. So everyone was like, yes, we will all lock down so that we can actually have a family Christmas. So they're really good at doing it. And now they're getting so much better with travel because here all the states close, you know, um, travel from each other. But now they've got all these new things. It's like green zones, orange zones, red zones. They can, they're really kind of 
getting used to kind of living with the fact that outbreaks are going to happen here and there. But, but it's interesting because like with yeah. Aussies, um, one is there's a strong drinking culture, right? People like to go yeah. out. And there's also like yeah. um, culture of exploring the wild, going out to the wilderness. You know, like you're very connected to yeah. nature. Yeah. So it's yeah. curious that they were able to manage that though. Yeah, but also I think um, <clears throat> in terms of population density, we are like, you know, nothing compared to even Malaysia in terms of how dense we are. Mm. So even though like Australia has, you know, low numbers and people are really good, there's also like not a lot of people here. Mm. So if something was to break out, it probably won't break out as quickly. And rural regions are really rural. Like, you know, it's, you know, there are barely any people there. And Australia is so, so huge that people still go camping just within their own state. Like, I've seen so much more of South Australia than I've ever seen, like, last year compared to when I've, you know, I've been here for 10 years now and mm. <laughs> I've not seen as much as I did last year. So, <laughs> yeah. maybe for the audience benefit, you could introduce yourself <laughs> as in, <laughs> as in who time. you are, what you do, <laughs> where you're based. So I am Roshan and Christian's cousin. I am yeah. the cousin of the Rumah Roy house. <laughs> I'm the favorite cousin. I just like to put that out there. I'm just going to push that. Like like Donald Trump pushing something. I'm just going to push that I'm the favorite cousin. I think Derek is going to um, contest that. Yeah, but he's not here. So I still have. <laughs> um, as a job, I'm. I guess I'm a veterinarian. But I guess I only deal with now uh, just aquatic animals so like all your fishes anything that lives in the ocean so how did you get into becoming a veterinarian what started it all um i don't think i ever wanted to be a vet actually um i think i just always always liked animals so even at home i think you guys are fully aware that i like animals because we had a lot of dogs at home but I think when I moved, <coughs> we had 14, 14 Damn. was the max, I think. But um, I think I never actually knew what I wanted to be. I wasn't like some people who knew, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm pretty sure everything I wanted to be kind of evolved around the ocean. I think I used to want to be an oceanographer or a beach bum. I think you can. I think I'm pretty sure I said that to my mom once, and you can imagine how she took that. Yeah. And then I moved, and um, in sort of high school here in Australia, they do this thing where you have like a careers counselor. And then she was kind of like, oh, like, you know, they look at your grades and then they ask you what you think you want to do at uni, and then they tell you if you need to improve in certain areas of your studies. And I just said that. I kind of wanted to do something with animals. So I wasn't sure between marine biology and animal science, I think, at the time. And then she said, if you work a bit harder, you could apply for vet and then you wouldn't have to choose. And I thought that <laughs> sounded like a good idea because <laughs> I didn't have to choose. So I think that's what I did. And then I got yeah. into vet school and I didn't really still know I wanted to be a vet until halfway through vet school. So it was a bit of a struggle. So. <laughs> if I remember correctly, science was never something you were passionate about, right? It wasn't something you were... No. Yeah. But no. you grew up around science. You know a lot of people I grew with up a strong science. love for science. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like my dad. 
Yeah. Yeah. Your dad. Your dad is probably yeah. one of like my biggest, well, most, most um, consequential person in my scientific development. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. And I realized that you then progressed to take on a really scientific role in your current career more than most vets oh, do. Oh yeah. 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 So expand on that. I don't even know how I landed here. I ask myself this question every day <laughs> when I have to write a paper. I'm like, this was the last thing you wanted. I didn't really like science and I didn't like I didn't like studying. Like I was never studious. Yeah. yeah. And so to That's end why up we always got in along. a career Yeah, to end up in academia is like uh, what what happened here? It's almost like life is kind of like, haha, I will give you the exact thing you think you don't want and that's yeah. where you're going to end up. Yeah. <laughs> so beyond but just being a, 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 a regular vet, if there is a regular vet, you now do academic yeah. research for to assess health of, of um, oceanic animals basically, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, you know, fish are... There's so much we don't know about fish, but yet they are probably one of the oldest creatures on our planet. Um, and fish farming is pretty new. So most people up to a point, we just caught fish from the ocean or the rivers and that's what we would, you know, eat from. But nowadays, because we want to move to become more sustainable, we're starting to farm fish, which, you know, uh, is a pretty new thing. And I think when you do new things, new problems arise. So there's a lot of new diseases that come from taking animals and putting them in a closer environment. No more 1.5 distancing for the fish. <laughs> so <laughs> as you can imagine, new things pop up. And so when you do fish medicine, it is always sort of coupled with doing research because most of the things you do are always new and no one really knows about it and it's undocumented and there are very few fish vets. So whenever I do something, um, I tend to have to write a paper about it because it's not been done before or not been seen before. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I have a place, I guess, working at the university because that's where you get all the cool cases yeah. of fish. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. so, so how does it work? You're hired by the university, you work on a grant or are you hired by the fish farmers? Or by the state? Both. So uh, most of the research I do is based on grants. And because I am like one of a very small number of people that do what I do, it just tends to happen that there will be, some, let's say someone's like, oh, like all these oysters are dying. And then they go, okay, who's in SA who can actually read oyster slides or do oyster medicine? And then my name will pop up. And then they'll go, Joe, we need you to join this research. And then if I have the time, I'll be like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And if I don't have the time, I, I obviously can't take it up. And then at the uni, because again, there's not many people like me, um, there's fish lectures at a vet school that need to be given and fish handling and all that. So I end up having to do all of that. So then I have a teaching contract with the uni and then all the research I do tends to come from grants outside. Yeah. Like I remember t you telling me a few years ago uh, about the government hiring you because there was like a, a virus like a weird kind of like fishes were just dying yeah yeah that 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 still happens basically <laughs> um yeah that was the first thing i ever did was with we found we found a virus but it wasn't the cause of why all the animals were dying so 
I'm actually not sure if I'm allowed to go into detail to mm. like um, say what type of fish, but basically there was a something that was happening that was killing a very specific, very expensive type of fish product. And they all kind of, most fish farmers want a like, I guess they call it a silver bullet so they can explain what's happening and it's not their fault. So fish farmers either really like vets or they're really scared of vets because it's either I go and I say, this is what's happening. It's not your fault. It's this really nasty bug. Or I end up saying, this is your fault because you didn't do X, Y, Z. Yeah, And they obviously don't want to hear that. Yeah. But um, we did find some virus, but it was not really the cause. It was just the cause of one farm. So right. all the farms had separate causes. And that's right. another really, I guess, hard thing to do. But I think my career really, um, I think it's really prepared me for life, especially, especially like a pandemic, because I feel like that was all the cases you get is like, oh, like animals are dying. We don't know why. And the first thing you do is like isolate the yeah. animals. Do fishes get coronavirus? They, uh, I think there are, I have to think about it. There are a few coronaviruses, but obviously not that the specific yeah, strain that is um, going around. Yeah. At the moment, but yeah, they get every everything that you can get and I can get. They probably there's a form that is a fish form. <laughs> mm. What's yeah. your favorite fish? Do you have a favorite fish? That is. Do you love them no. all equally? No. Huh? Sorry? You do. do. Come on, Joe. I know you have a favorite fish. I don't know. I have to think about. It. I think. I think. I think my favorite fish would just be the simple um, fighting fish that most people have at home. Because they're actually pretty cool fish. Do you think of that? I mean, <laughs> I like you imagine for someone who like dives in, dives in barrier reefs and coral reefs yeah. of Taba. <laughs> you have seen quite you know, a lot of amazing yeah, stuff. Yeah, I know, I know. I know, but I think the native things are probably the most amazing things. I think I love native fish and fighting fish is native to our country. So that's actually quite cool. But um, I also you also learn about how mean fish can be a lot of people don't think this or a lot of people are like oh we love dolphins dolphins are amazing but dolphins are like not nice they're probably now like gone down the list of my favorite type of aquatic animal but isn't it because dolphins are are the most human like (laughs) (laughs) can you guys hear me because i can't hear you guys now no we can hear you can you hear us oh okay sorry yeah yeah all right (laughs) no uh isn't the reason why uh, dolphins are so mean is because they're the most human-like? Or humans are the most dolphin-like? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. They they have, I guess they have things that I guess people would consider evil. Like they, dolphins actually, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this on your podcast, but dolphins actually Look, rape, dolphin like, community. Yeah, let's talk about that. Don't Brenda told me this amazing story about the woman <laughs> who became a sexual partner of the dolphin. Oh, right. yeah. She yeah. she she no. got the dolphin as a pet, and then she realized that the dolphin was <laughs> basically admiring her, and started was it masturbating? I think or something. No, it's like not that. a and girl. Then, it's a, isn't it a guy? No, it's a girl. She raised the okay. dolphin in her butt. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know this specific story. <laughs> I, but <laughs> I, I've been interested in BS, bestiality for a long time, so yeah, I've been yeah, reading so about this, this since I was in A levels. So, but dolphins are yeah, a common am, animal that anim, uh that humans partner with? Yeah, I mean, you I mean, you hear things. I haven't like personally like had like a 
like proof like oh yeah this definitely happened sort of scenario but you do hear things i tend to find i hear more about like horses and humans i right. don't know because like australia has a lot of horse people or what but um dolphins do do rape like they actually have like and they do it to other dolphins as well like a pod of males will actually like rape a female and sometimes kill a female after they rape a female which is kind of like not what people think dolphins are like but that's douchey. Yeah. Ah, Dolphin. I found it. It's super interesting. So it's a NASA-funded research project in the 1960s that led to yeah. the researcher building a sexual relationship with the dolphin. Because it was a study oh, to understand, yeah, 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 study yeah. to understand the you know the <laughs> behaviors of you know ecology of dolphins from a behavioral. Yeah. You know, they were really into organismal behaviors, like yeah. studying chimps, and so they looked at dolphins to see how closely related they are to humans and stuff like that. And his lady yeah. developed a sexual partnership with the dolphin. And he took part. Yeah, but is that happened. like... Is that like weird for the dolphin or weird for the fact that a lady developed sexual feelings for the dolphin? Yeah, I don't know. Who man. initiated I it? Know. I mean, I, I can kind of understand... Uh, okay, this is going to sound super strange. But I can kind of see it from a scientific perspective that maybe she was exploring it because she wanted to see how far she could push the... The boundaries of, you know, human-animal sexual relationship. Like, or like to see if she could have like a half-dolphin, half-human <laughs> child. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> but it's so weird, you know. That's a so different level of messed up. La. <laughs> no, but you know, we tend to like entromo. What's the word? Anthropomorphize. Anthropomorphize yeah, animals, yeah. right? But animals really yeah. don't see the world that, in the ways that we do. Like I was reading an article. I don't think so. I was like reading an article yeah. the other day about dogs, right? And I think there was a journal that came out that sort of posited that dogs might not look or capture faces the way we 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 do. Yeah. You know, because that's more like a primate thing and not necessarily like a mammalian kind of thing. And so yeah. like we look at dogs and they look at us and we think that they're seeing us the way we see them, but it could be completely different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It could be completely, completely different. And also, they probably rely on so many other things as well, like how we smell or, mm. you know, like other things. Because um, we we obviously have dogs in our house and we find that I can say something and just the tone kind of sets what I'm saying. So I can say, you know, like, you're being naughty. But if I say it in a high, happy voice, my dog is still happy and like shaking her tail like this is the best thing ever. <laughs> but if I say it in like a low voice and I say you're a good dog in a low voice, she's like, oh, I've done something and she just sits. So it's quite <laughs> funny. Like we obviously have all these little experiments at home. But tone yeah. is a big thing, I think, for dogs as well when you communicate with them. <laughs> yeah. And also because they rely so much on, well... Their noses, but their ears as as well. Uh. Yeah, yeah. There's this, I don't know if you guys heard of this. There's a speech pathologist who got her dog like a keyboard. And basically the dog has a keyboard that when he presses things, it says what he wants, like food or outside. Yeah. And he basically yeah. communicates with, with her yeah. and says, mm-hmm. you know, when he wants to go outside, he just hits outside on the keyboard and he gets let out. That I think is pretty yeah. cool, really. So the, Yeah, the, the I read that article that. and... That speech, speech pathologist akins the intelligence of a grown, trained adult dog to a four or five-year-old human. Which is pretty smart yeah. when you think about it. Like a four and five-year-old, like fully developed human can com- comprehend full sentences. 
um, can yeah. speak in full sentences. If I can string together, you know, five word sentences, and they say that the dog's intelligence is akin to that. And yeah, at four, I, and at four, five years that. old, you could yeah. uh, still have this degree of emotional uh, perceptiveness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I totally believe that. I w- kind of wish that like I had that keyword because like I would love to know like what my dogs want <laughs> when they want something. <laughs> but I wonder though, you love dogs so much. Why didn't you stay in domestic vet? Yeah, like animal um, practice. I I have I have an answer for this. I think it was because my first year out as a vet um, wasn't probably the best year out. And I went into small animal practice in my first year. I did it for about uh, two years, I think. But the first year and the first practice I was at probably deterred me from probably doing it long term. But I think that that's what something that lots of vets Yeah, maybe with. share about um, I th- of some of those bad experiences. So I think when you graduate from a veterinary degree, it's a bit like you know, you know a peanut size of the information that you actually need or you've actually just practiced just a peanut size of what you actually need to do when when you're actually working. I think the lawyer can concur. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a bit different because, um, you know, you're you're everything as a GP vet. You know, you're the GP, you're the dentist, you're the the x-ray imager, you're the surgeon, you're the anesthetist, you're everything when you're a GP vet. And so, you know, your first year out, every vet knows this is, you know, your learning curve is so high. It's like you're walking up this staircase that is just continually going up. And I think you want to get as much experience as you can with surgery and with medicine. And I ended up in a clinic that kind of, I think it was a great clinic, but it didn't probably have the same values I did as a vet because I was very young as well and I also probably didn't understand what owning a veterinary business was like. So I think my first year out, I felt like I was more trying to sell things compared to actually be a good vet and I think it didn't sit well with me. And I think a few things happened, like they lost a few vets in the clinic and so as a new graduate, I was kind of pushed then to take on quite a senior role. So I was doing consults for 10 hours and then they'd hired a new new grad after me. So I was then senior to someone else, but I haven't even, I hadn't even been out for more than a year. So I think all that pressure kind of got to me and I, and they realized that I was quite good at building rapport at people and talking to people. So I only got put in consulting shifts. So I never really got the opportunity to do surgery. surgery. And I really enjoyed consulting. Mm -hmm. So it didn't it didn't bug me too much, but I think at the same time I kind of had like FOMO that my surgical skills weren't growing, <laughs> yeah. and I yeah. didn't like surgery. And I'm that kind of person that if you don't like something, you have to like immerse yourself in it so that you're not so scared of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think when all that happened, and then I got the opportunity to do fish medicine, and because I love like the ocean and stuff, having mm-hmm. like you know, three days a week of being very stressed and then two days a week of being like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Like I jumped ship when the opportunity came (laughs) because I guess I was like, I feel so much better doing this job. So I'm just going to do this job. Right. right. (laughs) I think me and Christian were talking the other day about how it's so funny. We study in college um, our particular field. But then when we start working, we have to face like all the soft skills required. 
and we're not trained at all to do it. Like I think he was talking about conservationists yeah. and how conservationists get grants. And then later they have to manage yeah. the grants, manage accounts, yeah. employees. And you know nuts and yeah. you have to figure it out and it's so crazy. And like I wonder yeah. whether you had a similar yeah. experience because I think with fishing, you you would be interacting with a lot of like intense, hard men. Right? Or have I got yeah. that wrong? Yeah, no, I do. I do interact with a lot of... A lot of... Well, let me clarify I what... I interact with a lot of... Just, I, I'm sure you understand what he means, but for the listeners, what he means by hard men are yeah. like, you know, fishmongers who tend to be a bit rough around the edges, maybe rural, more rural community. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Folk. Yeah. Um, yeah, you do. I get a lot of, you know, and fishing everywhere, I think globally around the world, it's more of like a family thing. Like it's in your genetics. It's not something you kind of end up going, you don't suddenly go like, oh, I grew up with, you know, living in, I don't know, like a desert area and then I've decided to go into fishing it's usually like my grandparents fished my great-grandparents fished that's how someone tends to become a fisherman so when you go to these places there's like this whole lineage it's almost like a a mob you know there's like this gang and they all know each other and they all know what's happening on whose boat or whose farm and they are it's very very male dominated because fishing is quite it's quite a hard job like it's you wake up you know, crazy early and you Mm. just work till late and then you just do that every day and there's no day off. But they're also like, I like to describe them as gentle giants as well because if you know what you're talking about, like you just break into the group really easily. Like I remember going to many farms and seeing all these like, you know, pretty large, very buff, like (laughs) Caucasian men who like look at you and they're kind of like, what are you doing here, little Indian girl on this boat? (laughs) You know, and, and, you know, they're all taking, I think that was my first year going to a tuna farm and they all take um, seasickness tablets. But because, you know, I grew up at home and we went to the ocean a lot, I didn't need one. So I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. And they all were like ready for me to vomit. Like they all were watching me and they were like, yeah, this girl is going to vomit. But I just didn't. And when I didn't, they were all like, oh, you are amazing. Like you were just in because they look at you and they're like, you have sea legs. So you are in. You're one of us, you know. You don't need to take a tablet to like be on this boat. Wait, they were taking tablets. They were taking tablets. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, and I they have to take that. I think when you're concentrating on a boat that's going like up and down, just yeah, continuously yeah, undulating up and down, like yeah. you get sick. Like I like I remember last year when I went, I had to do some blood smears, which is basically I have to like just spread blood on a slide, but I have to do it really thinly so I can read all the blood um, cells. And I was just doing that over and over and the boat was going up and down and up and down. And after a while, I was like, I just need to just go stop and have some air because I feel my like tummy just going up and down and up <laughs> yeah. and down. But why did you and have to do it on the boat? all the time. Um, because I wanted my sample to be preserved as quick as possible. So right. I don't want my cells to disintegrate. And it's right. like a four-hour boat ride. So right, right. Okay. waiting for hours would not... You know, these challenges in science and research <laughs> with wild animals. Have you, ever, animals. have you ever done a report and while you're drafting it, you're like, this is so cool. Like you really like on fire while you're doing a report. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, I have the experience all the time. I think <laughs> I always feel that way about my job. 
which I think not many people have. So I feel very lucky. But I think the first time I saw a great white shark mm. when I was, you know, on a fish farm and I was like, this is the coolest thing. Like, can you imagine yeah. like you sign a form that your OHS is like, may get eaten by shark. Like, can you imagine <laughs> having a, a form that says that? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you're signing to say like, if you get eaten by a shark, I'm not going to sue anyone because, you know, this is yeah. shark infested waters. And yeah. then to see one. Yeah. It's it's pretty cool and to see them in the water is also really cool. So it it blows your mind. Even even seeing tuna for the first time in the water and like swimming with them kind of I was like, Whoa, these are this is crazy. If these you didn't have amazing, like a, you know, you had a strong um, background in diving and, and and stuff like that. If you didn't have that background when you were a teenager and stuff, would you have been able to do this? Um I don't know, but I, I'm not sure because I feel like Wait, you have a cat a too? Part, I didn't know you had a cat. Yeah. I have two cats. And two dogs. Two and two dogs. Do yeah. they get along? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They love each other. They're all here now walking around here. You might see them oh. in there. Oh, the yeah, another, another one. Uh, Is that Sophie? <laughs> but, no. <laughs> you have a dog <laughs> named Sophie? Dog. Oh, no. <laughs> sorry, I meant Louis. <laughs> I meant Louis. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had a massive brain fart. <laughs> Do not tell Sophie I confused her with a dog. <laughs> I, I will definitely be doing that. That is so funny. Oh, <laughs> the moment I said it, I'm like, wait a um, minute, that's not right. I've messed something up. That doesn't sound right. Yes, no, that's a boy dog as well. Just <laughs> <laughs> Double insult. Yeah. Louis, Louis, I mean, that's Louis. Yeah, that was Louis. Um... I feel like I wouldn't love the ocean as much if mm. I didn't have the childhood that mm. I had. Do you geek out with your I'd... dad about stuff? Uh, sometimes about like because you, your dad really is do. the most like well informed person I know, la. On yeah, on, I know. Is it isn't the on term biology, woke? La. Like he... <laughs> on the natural the world. Yeah, he's <laughs> woke yeah, naturalist. He's so super woke. <laughs> <laughs> like With I still, biology, I have this vivid sure. memory of uh, him and Uncle Luis, his brother, and we were going to I don't know which island, and then both of them were just looking out, and then your dad was like, "Oh, that's like a, I don't know what it is like. There was like a a blue winged cockatoo yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that." Then Uncle Luis was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. "No, no, no! Look at the the leg. No, it's protruding a particular way." No, it was yeah. our cousin Rushani, who was maybe seven or eight, looked up in the sky and just went. Oh, look, it's a bird. And then Uncle David oh, yeah, and Uncle yeah, Louis yeah, look yeah. up like, no, it's a blue wing, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then yeah, Uncle Louis was yeah, like, no, yeah, look at yeah. the leg. It's a, it's a silver wing, whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I I still, to this day, don't have, I don't have the bird thing. I call it the bird yeah, thing. I don't neither. have the bird thing. It's hard. I, I definitely have, I have the fish thing. So I can talk to my dad about the fish thing. <laughs> Yeah. But even till today, if we went for a walk, you know, he does this thing where you're walking and then he goes like, shh, 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 can you hear that? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and he's like, shh, shh. And he's like, it sounds like, you know, a yellow crested cockatoo or something. And I'm just like, shh, it sounds like a bird. And he gets so annoyed, but I'm like, I, it's a, like, and he'll point, it's almost, he's so disappointed in me, you know, we'll be walking and he'll see a bird and he's like, what's that? What's that? And I'm like, a bird and he's like you know he looks at you like are you my daughter do you not know what bird this is like <laughs> no, oh, no idea the funny part is like 
I, I, when I go to speak to him, I can speak about the mammals because that's what I study. And, you know, he can, he can have a full-on conversation just about the mammals. And I would imagine you'd go yeah. on to him and then speak about fish. And he can have a full-on <laughs> conversation about fish. <laughs> yeah, but it's like an achievement if you tell him something new. You're like, yeah, it yeah, is, it is. I have done something now that you didn't know. I have provided knowledge to you. And you're like, yeah, that's something. Cause I, I basically can't talk today, to David remember... about anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, you know when you like, I remember learning like Pythagoras theorem when I was in form, I don't know, like two or something. And I remember asking, I didn't understand. And I asked my dad like, oh, can you help me? Oh God, that would have so been frustrating because he'd be like, let me tell you the history of Pythagoras. No, but to be fair, Pythagoras from. has a pretty epic history. But at the time, I didn't care. I just wanted the answer. <laughs> and I think from from that time, I think I was like, wow, me and my dad are like so different. But I think it's good we have the fish thing because I'm like, we're actually not that different. <laughs> but if your dad were to tell you about the history of Pythagoras now, I'm sure you would be so into it. I, I, w- I think it needs to happen to see how it pans out. Like Pythagoras, probably, like uh, cult leader... Yeah, uh, they call themselves the Pythagoreans. Yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of, really I vaguely cool. remember this <laughs> <laughs> because they were like the first. Because he like kind of proved absolute truth, like whatever way you spun yeah. it, you would always get those numbers. Yeah, and so the first time, so he they thought it was you divine. have things to talk to him. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have I things d- to talk to my dad about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to add anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I also wanted to ask you. Because uh, as the years have gone by, I've uh, had the pleasure of hearing all your crazy stories about your adventures, not only in Australia, but also in Malaysia. You told me some wild yeah. stories about Zunagara when you were interning there. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Well, why do you want me to tell you that story? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So I want, I want you to... T- Tell me, what are the differences in Australia and Malaysia? Because I think there are stark differences. And like, how do you deal with the, those differences? Like, in Australia, the rules are so set. Animal protection is so set. But in Malaysia, right, you go to yeah. a market and you see how animals are killed. That's like a stark difference, right? Yeah. And so I wonder yeah. what your thoughts are as a Malaysian and Australian. Yeah, so it is interesting. So I think uh, it's quite difficult because I think Malaysia, Zoo Nagara is actually quite a unique zoo. And I recommend anyone who's listening to go to Zoo Nagara because it's a good place to go and a good place to support. Because most, when I was there doing like my placement when I was a student, most of the animals there were not technically wild animals. They were all rescue animals from previous circuses. Mm. So it's an interesting dynamic because in Australia, that's not really the case. Most of the zoo animals are wild animals and they treat them like wild animals. So that was already a bit different because in Zoo Nagara, I got to like, you know, pretty much go into, you know, the tiger enclosure or I got pretty close to, you know, really wild animals, but they were semi-tame because they were these rescue circus animals. And that's completely different to if you're working in an Australian zoo because you don't get to go near any of the animals. So 
I think it's kind of nice that Zunigara has kind of taken those animals in and kind of gone like, okay, we won't like, you know, do big exchanges with other zoos, which I'm sure they, they do do, but most of the big crazy, even the elephant were kind of from circuses. And so it's kind of nice because I guess me as a person who loved animals, you get to be quite close and personal with these animals and they didn't really let people, it wasn't people who come to visit, but the keepers had that kind of almost like a pet owner bond mm. behind the scenes and you see them love the animal and you see how much the animal means to them and how much the, they mean to the animal as well, which you wouldn't see in Australian zoos. But in Australian zoos, the concept is, you know, they're wild animals and they should be respected and they shouldn't be kept as pets. And, you know, so the messaging is completely different and how you care for them again is completely different because... I think like circus animals, they grow accustomed to eating. We were feeding the bear like honey bread, which is not really something bears eat normally. But because the bear had been eating this his whole life, he was like, where's my honey bread? And he would he would do tricks for you. Like you'd ask him to wave or say hello or blow a kiss. And if he sees the honey bread, he'll do it for you straight away. So it's, <laughs> well, so, it's, a sun bear. it's fine. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a, it was a grizzly bear in the Malaysia wow, Zoo. I remember That's this. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy and he just wave at you. Yeah, but um, but yeah, in Australia, it's very like, you know, they want to teach you about where the animal came from and they're not, it's not a pet. So they want you to respect the animal for why it's a wild animal. And I think yeah. that's also good from a conservation perspective. And it also allows the zoos to do much more rehabilitation because the animals are, I guess, closer to being like wild compared to the Malaysian zoo. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, a, a pro. But both have their pros. Yeah. Um, in terms of... What else did you ask me? Sorry. Generally, I in guess, terms in Malaysia. Of, I mean, how... The, the way, I mean, the big, the big thing that people talk about is, you know, people tend to be quite damning um, about Zoo Nagara's welfare of the animals. And yeah. so maybe, well, you know, when someone who's worked inside it, what, what were your thoughts about that? From from my perspective, I thought the welfare was actually quite good. Like, there are challenges at zoos. Like, in our country, we have a lot of... When I say our country, I mean Malaysia. We have a lot of feral cats, feral iguanas, feral snakes. And those are all animals that our zoo has to deal with because they can come into the zoo and they can bring diseases and they can bring... And so there's quite a lot of money... I think that goes into preventing that. So they do a lot of initiatives to make sure diseases don't come in. And I think from how, when I was there, how they cared for the animals was actually really lovely. And I felt like, you know, it's not easy when you have an established zoo to then make enclosures bigger and make more space because the time the zoo was there, it was in a completely different time to now with how new zoos are built. Yeah. So I was talking to... Um, Sophie's granddad the other day actually and he said when he used to go to the zoo in England you could have tea parties with the chimpanzee so they'll dress the chimpanzee up in Gosh. a dress and then they'll like have tea can you imagine that happening now they yeah. like that's pretty much illegal so for a zoo that kind of had you know shows and things they've kind of stopped all that at yeah. zoo Nagara, like at zoo Nagara and I think that's actually really good and they've tried to 
kind of improve all the enclosures and make them larger. So when I was there, I was really impressed because it looked so different to when I'd gone from when I was a child. Like, yeah. I felt like, you know, there weren't any shows. All the animals were kind of left to their own. And from the zoo perspective, they had a lot of enrichment that they would really initiate and try and put in for their animals. So I was yeah. really quite impressed because they are... All zoos do talk to each other and there are rules and regulations and I feel like they were really trying to meet and up their game. And I think it's yeah. also hard when you're neighbours to the Singapore Zoo that's doing mm. obviously really well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember you telling me about the Tiger Cup and so you would give it a block of uh, ice with blood Yeah. You know, and so it's like yeah, a puzzle, right? Yeah, so you right? make an ice block. Yeah. The tiger yeah, would chip away. you make an ice block. Yeah, and because it, it's so hot, so you'll make them, you basically had all this like stored blood and stuff and you put them in little ice blocks and you make it, and then you hang it up. And so they have something cool to kind of play with and cool them down. And then because it's made of blood, they also kind of like try and search for it or hunt for it or look for it. So you give them things to do while they're in the enclosure, which what is what prevents all those behaviors that you tend to see with them pacing or yeah. looking at gates or being bored. So. I mean, it's quite it's quite an interesting thing being a zoo because a lot of people are against it and a lot of people are also for it, for education. I think in Life of Pi, they do a thing about how in the start of the book, he talks about how, you know, as humans back in the day, yeah. we needed a lot of space. And then what happened, because we were hunting and we had to forage and we had to do all those things. But now, you know, we can live in a small apartment where we have a fridge that's full of what we need. And uh, he kind of described a zoo uh, enclosure being a similar thing. He was like, when you give a tiger meat every day, the tiger does the tiger need all this room to to kind of walk in? So there's some interesting kind of theories out there. Yeah, but, and I think he was also saying that a no. tiger perceives space differently. Like if they were in a yeah. cage, that would be their their space. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there's all these things. But I, I, I think I think zoos are good for education. I think that it's definitely you shouldn't definitely do shows with wild animals. I think that Kids don't need a show to be more excited about an animal. I remember being quite excited when I just saw an animal or if it looked at me while it was walking across. I remember being like, oh, this is cool. Um, and I think it's the same for all the, you know, like SeaWorld and things where they do all those sh shows with mm. all the whales Orcas. and things. I probably, I don't think you need a a show to kind of think an animal is cool. I think when you do shows, people think that, oh, you can train them so you can keep them. And I think that's happened quite a lot in America where they're like, oh yeah, I can have a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> tiger King. You watch it, Joe? Tiger King? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I think I, I did not get up from my couch. Yeah. I was so like... Engrossed. I was so... I Yeah. And also... um. Joshi told me that, oh, I can't remember his name. There's like a British interviewer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is his um, name? The Tom's famous interviewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy something. Uh. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, I can't remember. But he did He did a, a, a Captive Animals in America yeah. kind of episode where he went. Yeah. And the Tiger King guy was in there. Yeah. And that was obviously before his whole thing like blew up or he got famous. So he's like a completely different semi-normal dude in <laughs> that, in that you know, and he's like, oh, I'm doing it for the welfare. I need the cubs so that I can actually do this 
to get people to come. And it was, you know, he was still wearing like zoo um, Louis Thoreau. khaki print. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, Louis, Louis Thoreau. Thoreau. Khaki print outfits. And before yeah. he moved to his so like, you know, bling bling. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's quite interesting. I was like, uh oh. I, I, it kind of scared me a little bit, but also it's it was like clickbait. Like you're so good, I just sat down and watched it. Yeah, I mean the the fright most frightening thing was you know when they spoke about how there are more tigers in America than there are everywhere else in the world. Yeah, that I think was a very yeah. startling fact. I mean, if all of them are being bred yeah. there, then you know it's it's not a conservation issue anymore. It's just a animal welfare issue, and I think people fail to understand yeah. that the two are separate yeah. from each other actually. Animal welfare is yeah, not conservation it, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if I, I think there is a case to be made that the animals are not being bred actually. That a lot of them are being shipped over illegally through the southern border. And that's a problem now, of course. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I think I watching all these things just makes me worry about us humans more than me and I'm just like oh we are just crazy that we think we have yeah. the right to do all those things yeah. um but uh, I just yeah it 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 blows my mind because there's I went to America in 2019 um I went for like a conference and one of my really good friends he was in Texas doing a conference because he works with like beef and horses and so he went to Texas and we met up in LA and he was showing me pictures of um, the ranch guy he was living with who had two tigers and a bear and a, in his ranch. Like he had them as pets. So it's it's so his normal ranch. for people to have. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, but to be fair, we like, also know Malaysians who, crazy. Who, who have a lot of animals in their property. Like wild animals? Well, not really wild, but like, yeah, we had the... Uh, sun bear as a dog remember that was that was illegal you know she got taken to court oh right yeah but I think I mean I, I don't know about you but sometimes I also get into a point where I feel we as humans think like it's okay to we want a dog to look a specific way so it's okay for me to continue breeding a dog that looks a specific like we have the power or we are mm. allowed to have that like even that when you think about it and I don't I don't want you to think about it too much it's kind of scary <laughs> if you you know if we as humans feel we are entitled mm. to getting a specific you know like french bulldog or yeah, a specific yeah. like we can make that 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 is, in itself is yeah. a bit like huh, the most apparent example kind of, of this that I can remember is the huskies are becoming very popular in Malaysia now like there's been a oh, huge yeah, surge yeah. huge uptake only in the last 5 years of ownership yeah. of huskies. And I think it's kind of like, yeah. uh, driven by these husky cafes. It's becoming very popular. Where you go into a cafe and it's yeah. just flooded with huskies. Everyone. So everyone wants to own a husky now. And you can quite cheaply actually. Problem is it comes from yeah. the same source population. And they are continuously yeah. breeding them from like the same few individuals, right? And a lot of them are dying from epilepsy. I know two of my friends who's had huskies die of epilepsy at a young age. Three to five. So it's standard, the genetic pool yeah, is so it's standard small. genetic inbreeding issues lah. When you keep mating mm-hmm. the same small population group over and over and over again, yeah, um, yeah, and also even in the like I guess in the 
uh, breeding competitive world, like there are certain traits that they look for. So like I would say like a pug is a good example. They want shorter snouts, but yeah. that doesn't actually make for a, a good dog because all these dogs have really bad breathing problems and they get heat stroke quite uh, easily because they their breathing organs are really have been gone from having this much space to organize yeah. it like to a really yeah. tiny, tiny space where they, you know, you can hear a pug coming from like a <laughs> kilometer away because it's like, <laughs> like, as it's, yeah. like, you can hear it. You're like, uh, you know, like that's a pug. Like you close your eyes and you yeah. know, you know yeah. what kind of dog's coming through the door. And it's, and people, you know, they want the dog. And as a vet, and I think many vets will, who, if they do listen to this, will agree that, they want a specific dog and then they think that when they get the dog that that's the expense. But getting a puppy is the cheapest part of keeping keeping an animal. And so yeah. when they come into a vet and then you say, oh, we're going to have to actually like cut the soft palate back because the soft palate is blocking the airway and that's why the dog, you can hear the dog breathing. And to do that, it will actually make it more comfortable. We have to open up the dog's nostrils so it can get more air in because they're too small and the yeah. dog's really struggling to get air. And that's, you know, those aren't cheap things to do. Yeah. So people get quite angry at you because one, they get kind of defensive. You're, you're telling them like, oh, the dog that you spend all this money for is quite defected in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I, I remember you telling us stories. just spend a lot of money. I remember you, us, you telling us stories about how your clients in the animal practice would basically put it on you to say, like they would put the the weight of the yeah. decision on you to say like, I can't afford this, but if you don't treat my dog, it's going to die. And they make you feel bad for oh, yeah, that. that. Yeah, that's a big, big problem still. And I think, um, I don't I don't know what the stats are in Malaysia, but here, vets are the highest suicide rate from an occupation yeah. perspective. That's crazy. And I think that comes from a lot of things. A lot of people go like, oh, is it because you, you guys have to put animals down all the time? But I... I mean, that is a component of it that can get to you. But I think the guilt tripping that happens is a big part of it because yeah. um, you end up, you have to, man you're, when you're a vet, you're managing a person as well as an animal, but you're trying to advocate for the animal. And vet um, medications and stuff aren't cheap, but it's hard for people to understand that because in countries like Australia, people don't see when you go get a uh, you go to the dentist or if you have a procedure done, your government takes care of it. So you don't see the cost yeah. of a procedure. So let's say someone here has to have a cesarean. The the woman doesn't see how much it costs to have a cesarean. But in actual fact, it's probably, you know, up to, you know, ten to $20,000 for this to happen. But then they take their, you know, Great Dane to the vet to get a cesarean and the cost is, you know, like $2,000, which is actually really cheap for what procedure is happening. But, because they don't understand the value of what service has been given, yeah. they complain and they make you feel guilty or, you know, they don't pay the bill or, or, you know, you get a lot of abuse. And I think all these things kind of make being a vet kind of difficult and kind of, you kind of have to have a thick skin or you have to have a good outlet for where you talk to people so that you don't get overcome with all the negativity that comes your way. Yeah. I, but, I personally know a vet in Malaysia who committed suicide. And it was quite a tragic tragic kind of event in the country because it was the first... I think it was the first like public... Um, yeah. Uh, you know, a time when this became public, like, like pu published on the newspaper and the local news covered it. Um, because she, she was quite a 
famous vet. Like she was basically the main wildlife vet in Sabah at the time. So she was dealing with all yeah. the all the wild rescues all over the state. And whenever there's an elephant conflict in a palm oil plantation or or orangutan stuck in a tree somewhere and you know stuck in someone's plantation, she would be called in. And I think a lot of people also don't realize that vets have access to super potent drugs unregulated. I don't know about Australia, but in Malaysia oh, yeah, yeah. it's not yeah. regulated at yeah. all. They they you know doctors are extremely controlled, right? They have to they have to declare whenever they request for morphine and it's it's controlled. Morphine is yeah. like so yeah. mild compared to the drugs that vets use. Oh yeah, so mild. Yeah. yeah. But I mean it is it is it is regulated in the sense that um if I was to use like a you know an opioid or something, I have to write it down to say like I use 0.2 mils today. But um if I was having a really bad day and if I was pushed to my limits and I decided, you know what? I as a vet I have access to wherever I work, there's a safe, I have access to the safe and you know, after hours, I could obviously get to the safe and do could skim some off, lah. Wanted with the drugs that are there. You Sorry? could skim. You could skim some off. Oh yeah, yeah. Why did that? Where take her life though? Was it because of her work or was it personal issues? I mean, nobody knows. One can only imagine, right? Why? Why you're talking about the one in Sabah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone has theories about. About the pressures she was feeling. I mean, I can imagine it was quite a stressful job. You know, it was, it was very painful yeah. to have to put down so many wild animals constantly. You know, every yeah, animal she meets is a... Uh, she would have met was a distressed animal. You know, they look disheveled. They look thin, very mangy, injured a lot of times. And she has to, ki- you know, she has to make the decision to kill them and end its life. So, Yeah, and I think... I think there's a specific personality type that go into these careers like medicine, law, um, vet. You know, these are not easy courses. And obviously, the people that kind of go into these are high achievers that do well in school, well in high school. And they have, especially in vet, they have, uh, you know, they have passion for animals, right? It's not, not vets, very rarely you find a vet who's like, I'm doing it for the money because that takes a long time for a vet to start earning good money. It's not really, that's not really true that vets earn a, a, a good money. And I think when you have that type of personality where you're very good at what you do and you're good at excelling, you're an uh, overachiever and if you want to, you, you go into it wanting to make a difference in an animal's life. And I think when you're put in a position, especially in wildlife, where there's a little information, there's little resources, and these animals really need your your help and you find you you aren't making the difference that you thought you were going to make you aren't achieving how you've always achieved in your whole life that gets that's something as that personality type they don't know how to deal with it so even with students you know when you have the best students come from all the high schools to your university and then now they're like, oh, I'm no longer the best student anymore. That is something that they really struggle with because they've been number one for so long. They don't know how to be number 10 or number 20. (laughs) So when that happens, it is a learning curve Mm. because they don't, they're like, I've never had to, to, to like, deal with the emotions of feeling like I'm failing. Yeah, because very often when you go against the world, you're going to come out last. Yeah. The world has a the yeah. world is equipped to knock you down. 
Yeah, and I think wildlife is you need a lot of grit and it's very, very hard because you you want to give the animals the best and yeah. you know you know what the best is, but there just isn't enough resources and you can't provide the service you want to provide and you watch these animals, you know, kind of suffer slowly and you it's very hard to kind of like mentally compose yourself. As an animal lover, how did you manage putting down animals? Um Sometimes, sometimes it's a good thing that I have the opportunity to stop an animal suffering. So sometimes I go, oh, you know, we tried everything we could. It wasn't working and now we've stopped suffering. So sometimes I go feeling like I feel great that I was able to stop this animal from suffering a second more than it should have. And sometimes you come home feeling like like dirt basically, but then you, I think it's really important to have people to talk to about it. Even when you're abused in a vet clinic, it's important to have a, you know, a group or an activity where you go and talk about it. Like we, me and my friends that I went through vet school with, we have um, bachelor nights on Wednesday nights <laughs> where we watch The Bachelor <laughs> and Gosh. we talk about, you know, you know, we have a, good whinge or we kind of like go through a case or go through a bad thing and every everyone who goes on Wednesdays they all will have something that they're like this happened to me and it really sucked or but it's really important to to talk about it and I think when we were going through vet school there was a student that did commit suicide that wasn't that was a bit younger but from that moment my friendship group really took took our mental health quite seriously so we mm. always do kind of touch base with each other or yeah. 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 That's awesome. I and mean, that's, it's important to have that, I think, as a vet. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think having those quality friendships would make or break your your you know, your yeah. ability to handle those things. And maybe this was what the that Sabahan vet didn't have, you know. Like, just I don't know, Christian, yeah. what about it can the, be very isolating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I don't know if there's a network like that in Malaysia, Christian. Uh no, they aren't they aren't like they I mean the group that you're describing, Joe, is like a small kind of organic group that you guys set up, right? Yeah, but there are they are also like we have like an Australian veterinary network group on Facebook where only mm. vets can join and then um basically people who get stuck with cases that they don't know, they can mm. put it up there and say, like, I need help, I've got stuck. Yeah. Or yeah. if you know, there is there is there are things where people can go to. Yeah. Um I'm I'm sure there would be at home. I'm. I'm. I don't I, know I, I'm any, aware of like professional. I'm aware of professional entities that exist to like regulate because you have to apply for a vet license and you have to go for courses and get your points and stuff to maintain your license. So there's groups that like yeah. regulate these things. Like just like the bar council regulates lawyers and you know stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. I don't know how aware they are about ensuring that vets are. There are two facets to this. I don't, you know, one is are they supporting the mental health of the vets, and the second component is there is definitely Malaysians definitely have more emotional detachment from the animals, even if they are vets. And I noticed that. Uh, yeah. They. they yeah, I, and I guess they can be more like indifferent to the welfare of the animal. It's just oh, that's our, really interesting, though. Yeah, yeah it's correct. just our culture, lah. And I think that's changing though, but that's another thing I think when you ask me about the difference between like Malaysia and Australia, mm. that's the one thing like we, 
I grew up in a house where, you know, all our dogs were outside. They were all rescue dogs. We didn't pay a penny for any of the dogs we had. We fed them. We play with them outside for a little bit, but it they weren't with us all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, straight and that's and they used as guard dogs and there was this quite distinction between like you are a pet and you know, we are we are humans, you are pet dog kind of thing. Yeah. But here They were definitely not family. They are family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were yeah. definitely not family. Here they are family. So the dynamic is very different as well. And even the culture um is quite different at home in the sense that, you know, we're very re- like Asians as a whole, we're kind of respectful as a culture, I feel, um, especially to our seniors. And I'm not sure if that's changing, but there is that like, okay, whatever the doctor says or whatever the vet says, I'm just going to, okay, yep, you know, you you kind of do this. They're here, because they're family and there's so much emotion involved, um, if you break a if you break bad news, let's say I say Roshan, I'm really sorry, but your dog is quite sick. We can do all these things, but your dog is 17 years old, and I'm not sure if the measures we'll do will just prolong something that we could actually essentially stop earlier because we're not going to cure anything here. And you have a dog that has lived quite long, and you as the owner, you've gone like, oh, I actually noticed this change probably like three months ago, but I didn't think anything of it. And I've had a few large bills come in and you're like, oh, like my family member has been ill and I kind of noticed, but I just didn't do anything about it. So you start to get really emotional, really defensive. And then you're like, I have a lot of emotion that I have to let out. And then you look at the vet and you're like, I'm really like, you know, mean to like, let your anger and your sadness go out to the vet. But that's what happens. You know, and, you know, I've had people say like, oh, like, I don't have that kind of money, but, you know, if, but I love my dog and I need you to save my dog. And if you don't save my dog, you're killing my dog because I don't want to put them down. And it's not, they're not being malicious or they're not being mean. They're just in a very emotional state. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's very, it's, I don't think it's very easy to separate that. And I think you learn to separate that the longer you are in the career where you go like, okay, I know this person's having a bad day because I've just given them so much bad news and, you know, I've given them a pretty hefty bill at the end to kind of help them. And so you just have to separate it and then kind of like go home because, you know, most of the time after that, they they do apologize for for saying right. the things that they say. Right. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice yeah. I, but that, that whole difference in culture though is really interesting and I do think it's changing a little bit because now you do see yeah. well at least for me I know more of my Malaysian friends who actually go through a mourning process after a pet yeah. dies right but I yeah. didn't really see that growing up with my friends like even for myself and Christian yeah. we had three dogs in the past and it was never yeah. it was sad but it wasn't like Probably got a family member had died yeah, we got away in a few days. Yeah. But like with some of my friends yeah. now, they legit have to mourn. Full on. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's I think that's the other thing you learn being a vet is you learn that you can't, even though something's not important to you, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not important to someone else. Yeah. You know, like you, I've had people, you know, be extremely devastated over like a guinea pig. Right. And for me, I've 
you know, I'm like, it's a guinea pig. You know, I'm not a big fan. Like, I find it quite hard. But then you see these people are in so much, is in so much, they, they're grieving and you have to respect it. But even though you don't understand it, you have to learn to be like respectful and you have to go like, you know, you your quality of service is also, you can't just go like, yeah, it's a guinea pig, so it's okay, we'll just put it down. That's not that's not okay. You need to be yeah. like, here is what Top I form. know about guinea pig health and guinea pig care and this is yeah. what we can do. It doesn't, you'll be surprised, you know, some people, they will pay, they will do all they can, all the x-rays, all the ultrasounds, all the medications for something that in your mind is, you know, they spent $5 for this pet in yeah. the pet store, but they are willing to spend, you know, so much on medication to save this pet because it's not it's you can't quantify it with money I don't think yeah. it's kind of a beautiful and, facet and of human nature that you're able to yeah. bond and, you and care to, for a species that's not your own yeah and you also have to balance the people that do think of like a pet as a pet uh, you know they do think oh you know this is not my family yeah. so like don't tell me all the things I just want to... You know what I mean? You have yeah. to really gauge who you're talking who, yeah. to and provide them the care that they're looking for in yeah. and kind of, you know, be like, I'm still advocating for the animal first kind of thing. You could have a person who yeah. comes in and had not realized the responsibilities of being a pet owner and then just puts down the animal yeah. after. Yeah. That would be the other extreme. Um, yeah. Yeah, so those are the... Uh, that's definitely happened. I've had to... I think one of my saddest euthanasia stories that I still have is I had to I had to euthanize a, a litter of puppies um, because they didn't look correct for, breed, for competitions. They didn't have the right look. And I think that that was probably one of my worst days because I think I tried everything. I tried to get him to surrender the puppies. Yeah, why not just like, give it an no, option? surrender it. That's what I said. I said, you know, surrender it to the vet clinic. We'll take care of that. We'll surrender. We'll, you know, give them the vaccinations. We'll take on the cost and then we'll find them homes. But um, I guess breeders can be quite touchy about where the genetics of their breeding dogs go. Gosh. And they don't want people... And they don't want it to... Um, kind of break out that like, oh, you know, some of these breeders' dogs had this look and then right. people don't buy, you know, their their dogs. So, it, you know, it's a, it's a business. So then you get caught in this, like, if I make this person feel judged and I don't do what I'm, you know, what they're asking me to do, to do, they might, they might do it themselves. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then you're like, well, that, like, it's a really tricky, like, and that guy said many times that if I wasn't planning on doing it, he was just he would just do it. Yeah. And he felt that was mean, which is why he came in. Yeah. And I think nah, that's probably not yeah, mm. not fun. We had a situation the other day. Oh we, yeah, we did. We had a stray stray kitten. Is, yes, I, I, I know you did text me about it. Yeah. It's quite sad now. <laughs> the problem with the kitten was it was paralyzed waist down, and the yeah. difficulty was it it could have lived, and it looked like it wanted to live lah. It was like super um, receptive yeah. and engaged, but yeah. we just don't have the resources yeah. to take care of it or give it the care that it would need. Yeah, and it wouldn't have been adopted. Yeah. 
Yeah. So like then you're no, put it wouldn't in have. this like weird situation where you have to put yourself as the owner of the kitten. You have to be with it <laughs> as it's put down <laughs> while they yeah. inject it's jugular. <laughs> and then you have to arrange for its cremation. It's like weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I remember you texting and being like, I feel like I've let this cat down. <laughs> yeah, it was after a day. <laughs> and yeah, so you know that feeling? A lot of vets have that yeah, feeling for like yeah. a lot of And things. my brother didn't want to um, carry the burden of having decided himself. So while deciding, he called me he told me everything about the cat. I already told him, we need to put this cat down. It's not going to live, you know, normally. Yeah. yeah. And he called me and just said, yeah. so what do you think? I said, I think we need to put it down. Like, okay. He just wanted someone else yeah. to also yeah, carry the burden of killing yeah. this animal with him. <laughs> I think at that point, I was yeah. still wondering whether it was possible. No, uh. oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been. Uh. Mainly because, you know, um, my brother's not here at all because of work. Yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> living somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, so it just wouldn't be like fair. I mean it's yeah, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing and I don't think I think in reality what would have happened is if you didn't find that kitten it would have either, you know, like yeah. uh died of natural causes, which is probably worse than actually just being sedated and you know kind of like put to sleep yeah. that way or a rescue group would have found it and done the exact same thing that yeah. um you did but yeah. Obviously, your name wouldn't be there, and you wouldn't have had to go through <laughs> go through that. But yeah, I don't think there's really a lot you can do because the you 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 have to ask about. It's a tricky balance of doing something for an owner to be like, oh, this is for me, um, not not actually for the dog. So a lot of times, you know, you delay putting something down just to give the owner time to like be ready. Um, so that's that's a balance that that we have to do. But I always mm. find it so odd, you know. Again, like you go through so much of pain, and especially with animals, right? They live shorter lives. Like, why would you put yeah. yourself through that? I don't know, man. I know. Okay, you get the love, like get it, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. It's really nice to have pets. I really yeah. enjoy having pets, and it's. Sure. It's actually really interesting to watch how they interact, how they interact with you. They all have personalities and you kind of, yeah, it's, and even watching our dogs and cats interact with each other, mm. it's really quite interesting and quite and funny when they get along so well. You know, a lot of the people grow up, you know, like cats and dogs, they don't get along, but uh, our cats and dogs like literally like to snuggle and like sleep in the same bed <laughs> and it's quite fun to watch them interact. And you get a lot of satisfaction from having a pet or when you've had a really long day and you come home and there's just this animal that's just so excited to see you. Yeah. you it does make you feel better. Yeah. And also they're so forgiving. I, I get angry at my pets, but then like two seconds after I feel bad, but they're like, I forgot what happened. <laughs> <laughs> really, Why don't you have any fish it's pets? It's nice to be loved. Sorry? Why don't you have any fish pets? Why don't I have any big pets? Fish, fish. 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 I do have fish pets. Oh. I have goldfish and I have a tank of fish. <laughs> Come on, I'm a fish vet. I have to have fish pets. Come but on, I feel like Rashad. goldfish is uh... um, yeah, made to die. Hello, my goldfish are three years old now. They do not. They actually quite. You can train goldfish. You should YouTube like um, training fish. You can see people do some quite cool things with their fish. I've never like had a goldfish hoops. for longer than two weeks. I don't think. Have you ever had a goldfish? Yeah, of course. We had a whole uh, fish season in our lives when we were 
serially having fish that died over and over again. <laughs> For unknown reasons. Um, I'm just going to interrupt you here because I just got a, a, a post-it from Sophie saying, fire coming our way, no rush, but we'll go when you're done. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, this is what living in Australia is like, everyone. Yeah. There's a bushfire coming our way. What's the temperature um, like again? But there's no rush and I'll go when we're done, apparently. What's the temperature there now? Uh, I have no idea. Hold on, let me get my phone. My where will you, phone tells where will you, me... Where will you go for solace and solitude? So if it's really... It's 39 uh, degrees on my phone at the moment but um, if it's really close we go to um, Sophie's mum house she has a yeah. fire bunker so you sit in the fire bunker and wait for the fire to go wow. or we drive to the city where there's obviously no fire so I might go to Joshi's house or right. something like that Right. but is yeah. there any way to protect your property from the fire in any way no so if it comes no, it so comes our, the fire plan for us the fire plan for us is just to leave because we are surrounded by bush right, right. Um, where we are so I'm kind of like I would I would just say I live in like the bunting of Adelaide. Can you can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, um, you know, like rolling hills. You know, beautiful. lots of greenery. Can you and, um, can you yeah, like? It's very beautiful. But can you clear the the immediate like like hundred meters around your house from any? You know, the fire needs fuel, right? Like, can you just clear all the trees in the immediate hundred meters around your house? No, so we carry. are surrounded by a natu- uh, nature reserve, so we're not oh, allowed. Oh, you can't cut anything. But so that's one of the reasons why we actually love love living here yeah, because we know it's never gonna change. Yeah, but um, mm. yeah. Man, that's a, so like I a might have property. to end this podcast. Soon. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, it's really nice. I can't wait for you guys to come. Yeah, yeah, one sure day. Will. Yeah, I mean, we can end it now. We hit one hour twenty minutes. It's a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You went fast. <laughs> yeah, this is the first podcast where someone has to leave because a natural disaster is <laughs> Because of a fire. A fire this is imminent. Is like, this is like as Australian as it gets, you know. <laughs> you just have to add like a few snakes, uh, spiders roaming around. Wait, one oh, day you have yeah, to... Yeah. One, we, one way I have to get on the podcast from like the forest and then maybe we can have a horde, uh, like a pack of monkeys coming to catch out the podcast or something. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. You better get out. That, I think that could happen quite. You easily. find some shelter. Yeah, I probably, I probably should. Um, because I can hear Sophie getting like things ready. I can hear her like getting, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, getting yeah. the dogs, getting the cats. Can can um, can no problem. So I think. Uh, okay, okay, okay. She very calmly gave me this note. Thank so. you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. Thank you, Christian, for guest hosting. No problem. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, you've just listened to Christian Gomez, Jaina Mahadevan, Roshan Gomez. <laughs> we hope you're staying safe, healthy, good, and we are done. <laughs>